Well, did you miss us? Because we're back. Yep, it's the Lions Experimental Podcast returning after my uh, two weeks off where uh, Jen kept the uh, shop open while I was vacationing in Europe, and it's great to be back. Uh, First of all, just as a programming note, uh, we do expect to be back for the foreseeable future. We will likely be making a few changes to the podcast in the relatively near future, but we are hoping to maintain uh, a roughly weekly publication schedule from here on out. And the other thing, just to mention to you, this is a a great catch-up conversation between Jen and I. We hadn't really spoken in almost three weeks since I left, so we kind of got caught up on everything that's been happening in the news. Uh, Stick around. We cover a lot of ground, and we hope you enjoy the return to the Lions Experimental Podcast. Well, we're back. I'm Well, technically, I'm back. You're back. I've never left. You can see the haggard look upon my face, the the, the soulless death in my eyes. Your eyes don't look any different to me. Oh, fair enough. I want to tell you something. Tell me. So I took, um, well, I, we, because my, my wife and I are a team, uh, we took our kids to Europe. And great trip. Everything went very smoothly. Um, for anyone looking for any stories about any kind of uh, travel nightmares, none. It was great. Everything, every, like all the planes, all the trains, all the hotels were fine. I had this weird sense, though. And you ended up touching on this in a column you wrote this week, where you basically talked about the, uh, I think you, I think your exact quote was the dumb fuckery of the liberals on C-18, but also the dumb fuckery of the conservatives on a bunch of other kind of adjacent issues. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I do, Jen, is when I go on holiday, I like hard unplug. I delete my social media apps. I delete my email apps. When you're in the news business, you can't casually read the news it's like crack like you get sucked in yeah so you, you kind of have to unplug entirely but you can't ever totally avoid it so like i'll be opening like my browser on my phone to find a parisian cafe at its top 10 canadian news headlines like so like stuff like that and even just with like minimal news exposure over two weeks unplugged on another continent i came to the conclusion that all of us in this country have lost our minds. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, but, but, but it was being a way that really clarified that for you. I'm like, so my French is bad. Like, it's really bad, but it's not zero. And I would like to get some of it back because my wife is a French teacher and my daughter's in French version. I don't want them having that advantage to be able to communicate behind my back. So when I'm in Paris, like the typical awkward tourist, I actually try to like communicate like in, in the, in the local language or at least a little bit. And I read local newspapers. I watch when I'm in cafes, I try to watch the news broadcasts and stuff. And then I open up my phone and I see that Justin Trudeau is like, but why isn't Facebook putting out the fires? And and Andrew Shear is like, look at this conspiracy of the media marching in lockstep. <laughs> as if he doesn't know what a goddamn wire service is. And of course he does. And what I'm what I'm left with, and this is not like a new insight to me. This is something I've said repeatedly. This is why I think Canada is broken. We have to understand that our politicians are smarter than they are choosing to act. Mm-hmm. Like there has been a conscious and deliberate choice that they are going to wage their political battles on a stupider level that they would actually otherwise be on. And look, we can talk about the median voter. We can talk about how to communicate with, I, I get all of it, but one of the reasons I think we're in deep shit as a country is because our politicians are on a regular sustained basis pretending to be stupider than they are. And maybe you have to leave the continent for a couple of weeks and give your head a shake and then kind of like dare to peek at a few Canadian headlines. I look, I I I admit I didn't completely successfully kick the habit. I would peek at a few headlines now and then. We're a stupid country run by people who are pretending to be stupider than they are. Like, yeah, I said it's not just the the politicians. It's like the entire discourse. Oh, it's all of us. Yeah, it's yeah. Like it's it's a. I, I mean, this is why I keep on making people get pissed off when people say "quote unquote" the media, as if there is such a thing as the media, or or this yeah. assumption that the media "quote unquote" puts the information into the ether and this brainwashes people. No, 
Personally, there is no media. There is no such thing as the media. There's, there's a monster with a million faces, much of which hates one another and is petty and small. And what happens is, is that each of those faces has an audience and they respond to what their audience responds to and they try to give content that they think their audience is going to like. And so there's a constant feedback loop. There's a symbiotic relationship between a media outlet and the, the the audience. And I just make that point because I'm like, sometimes I do think that a little bit of distance and some time and being in another country allows you to have the moment where you're like, this is all so small, it's so petty, it's petty. Oh, you just muted yourself there, bud. Yeah, I did. One of my buddies once said it so well, and he said it in a, in a context that has nothing to do with this, but it was just a brilliant observation. You never smell your own house. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Every time you go into a house, it smells like something. It could be a mm -hmm. good smell, could be a bad smell, could be a neutral smell, but your nose and your brain register it. You step yeah. into your own house. You don't smell a damn thing. Mm-hmm. because you breathe it every day mm -hmm. and then so you stepped out of the house and then you came back enough, just long enough to come back and caught and a realize of the house stupidity you know you said it was bullshit yeah it's so much bullshit it's bullshit on bullshit on bullshit bullshit responding to bullshit Sorry, my phone's going off here. I, I have friends in from out of town. We're making dinner plans, so my phone's going a little nuts. I'll just mute that. But yes, it's bullshit. It's it's straight up bullshit. And, you know, this is a point we've made before. The conservatives in this country are nudge-nudge, wink-winking at some really dark, bullshitty, conspiracy-fringe things. And the liberals are right to condemn them on that. But the liberals then just pivot and shove some slightly different brand of bullshit down the gullets of Canadians. Yeah, so it's like, what brand of bullshit do you want today? Do you want the liberal bullshit brand? Do you want the conservative bullshit brand? Or do you want the Jugmeet Singh, NDP? Uh, why Why is Galen Weston personally causing inflation brand of or, bullshit? Or the one that we got me annoyed today, or not today, but earlier this week was when I saw like Catherine McKenna and the sorts of liberal types being like, the conservatives are responsible for the wildfires because they're against the carbon tax. They're arsonists. I'm like, that doesn't make any fucking sense. Makes no sense. Just so that we're clear. That, that one of the um you and all I the, yeah. One of the, you and I didn't talk much when I was on vacation. It's not because I don't love you, but it's just because I deleted most of my messaging apps. Also, I refused to speak to you. I, I made a big point of it. Yeah, that was obvious. I didn't want to read too much into it. Um, one of the things I did tell you, though, was when we started the line almost exactly three years ago, like the anniversary might actually have passed while I was in Europe. Mm. We had a we had a specific mission of just rejecting bullshit. And I think I don't think we've ever lost it. But like, sometimes you know, it's good to re-remember it. Yeah, because remember in the 2021 election, we did our bullshit bulletin? Mm -hmm. which i mean i just for a peek behind the kimono folks like that thing was just a complete subscriber drop because people loved it yeah people loved it and i wonder should we just bring it back on an ongoing basis maybe it's not really yeah but it's 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 quite labor intensive to do it's one it, thing to do that during the election yeah i, know. Also with the, I mean really our dispatches should be a little bit of that right bullshit bulletin anyway um it's just we're, we're a big complicated country with big complicated problems and our choice for options to lead us is mr bullshit about facebook or mr bullshit about like well, wef yeah yeah and and the thing is, like, I understand partisanship, at least in the abstract. I understand the way the partisan mind works. Or, Well, no, I don't. I appreciate the fact that the partisan mind works that way, which is, I guess, a different thing. But The partisan mind is actually the dumbification of the mind. The second you you, you buy into a, a kind of tribal mentality, you are sacrificing about 20 IQ points to the altar. What you're doing is you're, you're basically outsourcing some degree of your own critical thought to yes. a leadership committee. Yeah, that's right. And and you will be told what to 
think and what to feel. Now, I happen to know for a fact many well-connected partisans are fully aware of the fact that half of what they're saying is bullshit. But I think a lot of the base isn't. Yeah, that's right, right? Yeah. Like, there, the there loyal, are people the loyal out there. foot soldiers do not understand that, yeah. You know, you've always heard the stories, right? And it used to be sold more on the basis of Canadian collegiality. But like, you know, oh, we're enemies in, in question period, but then we go out for a beer after. And it used to be kind of held up as an example of how nice Canadians are. We don't let political issues divide us. We're actually all friends when the cameras aren't running. I'm starting to think of it more as a clique of the guilty. Like they're all conspirac- conspirators in the bullshit dumbification of an entire country. And when they go out for a beer after, it's not because we're such a nice country full of such nice guys. It's because they're in on it. Yeah, I could see that. Um, Tangential to this. So while you were gone, uh, Aliyev took a question from, I believe it was a CBC reporter, who said to the effect of like, accused him essentially of experts say that, you know, you are being court, you're, you're, trying to dog whistle to the to the far right sort of thing and Pierre to his credit had had quite an interesting response to that he went straight to the he, he went straight into attack mode um which goes back to something else we've been talking about in terms of the way that the conservatives are this uh, was Teresa Wright in Prince Edward Island I think yeah it was and like I'm not trying to pick on Teresa Wright here I'm, I'm trying to make a totally different point here he basically said Pierre Polyev said something to the effect of um which experts can you name the experts um, this is a rhetorical tactic that is frequently used in alt-right sort of YouTube personalities. So, you know, it's instantly recognizable. Um, but he used that to discredit the reporter and say, well, you don't, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. This is just a hit job. But it was very effective. It was very effective at shutting her down. I came away from that whole observation with a totally different observation. And that was, what do we mean by the term far right now? Because and again, I'm not trying to pick on Teresa Wright. She was doing her job. I understand what she was trying to do. She was trying to get a bit of a gotcha, but that's what you do sometimes. That's that's what it is. And if you're a politician, you have to be able to handle that and be prepared for it and to be able to answer those questions. And bluntly, Pierre Polyev does wink and nudge at some at some some conspiratorial elements out there. Like 100%, he does. I mean, I've written about that myself. But when you use the term far right, and it's not just Teresa Wright doing this, this has become um, ingrained in the lexicon. It's become a a term of art that we, in journalism even, are using without really thinking about what the meaning of the term is. I don't know what far right means anymore. No, me neither. And I could have told you even two or three years ago. Yeah, if, if you were to use the term far right two or three years ago, my assumption would be you're talking about skinheads. You're talking about white nationalists. That would be my assumption. Now, I think the term far right has been broadened to the point of uselessness as a term. I think that now what Teresa Wright was trying to get at was you're pandering to conspiratorial populists. Mm -hmm. I don't think she was actually accusing Pierre of pandering to racists because I don't think that that's what the term means anymore. Now, there's two things to discuss on that. One is sort of like the broadening of the use of the term far right as a term of art you have people on the progressive side of the of the um uh, linguistic divide who are trying to broaden what counts as far right and i'm using that term in quotes because they're trying to push conservative ideas outside of the overton window right they're trying to associate it with racism demagoguery all of that kind of stuff so now all of a sudden you know if you have pretty reasonable critiques of the WEF, they can label you as saying, well, you're pandering to the far right, right? Like this is this is a rhetorical trick. It's a rhetorical term of art, which is fine as a strategy. But if that's what's happening, then we as journalists shouldn't be engaging in that rhetorical trick ourselves. We should be endeavoring to use terminology that is clear and has clear meanings. If you think Pierre Polyev is pandering to a particular demographic, identify clear, and say how. Identify what demographic that is. And say if how you, he's pandering to it. If you think he's pandering to races, don't don't fudge around the the the, the edges by by saying far right. Like, 
are you pandering to racists? Was this fundraising email to pander to racists? If you think he's pandering to, as I said, conspiratorial populists, I can understand what a conspiratorial populist is in my head. I can visualize that. Okay, so accuse him of pandering to conspiratorial populists. You know what I mean? Like, like use terms that have a clear and identifiable meaning. I don't think the term far right, again in quotes, does anymore. And therefore, from a journalistic perspective, I think it's of limited to no value. Um, um, yeah, I agree. That's something that I was kind of pondering in my head, and I was thinking maybe I could write a column about it, but maybe it's a good dispatch. I don't know. And again, I'm, I'm not trying to give Teresa right. She's already taken to enough shit. She's not the only journalist who's, I mean, I'm sure I've used the term far right in recent yeah. terms. It's become... A, uh, it's become ingrained in the lexicon, but it's become so ingrained in the lexicon that we're not thinking when we're using it anymore. And I think that that's potentially well, a problem. There's a couple, I mean, God, that that's meaty stuff. You've given me a lot to reply to there. The first thing I'm going to okay. say, and I'm with you, I, I'm being on team Teresa here. I like her. She's very good at her job. And she's not the first person to get rhetorically punched in the face by <laughs> Pierre Polyev like that. And she's not going to be the last. She's not going to be the last. Absolutely. And, you and I have written repeatedly about this. This yeah. is a deliberate strategy. Polyev is trained to do this. He is yes. media trained to receive a question and punch back. It's not, I mean, I think it probably suits his combative personality because it certainly aligns with his, his persona in the House of Commons and question period. He's always been known as that kind of aggressive, scrappy. He's literally uh, that dude. This is not a yeah. persona. He is that dude. Yeah, That's fine. but I also think it's, you can take someone's natural, I don't want to say strength, but qualities and train to that. And there was, there was um, an occasion in the 2021 election where the mask slipped a little bit with Justin Trudeau. And I, I don't, what I mean by that is that for a second, you could sort of see, it's like in some old 50s sci-fi where like his forehead fell open. You could see all the gears wearing behind it, like in a Twilight Zone episode. It was somewhere in Ontario, and Justin Trudeau was asked a question. I don't even remember what the question was, but I remember it was a really good question. And it kind of wedged him a bit. And Trudeau went up, and they stopped. And he paused for like a second or two. And then he said, we will never apologize for women's a woman's right to choose. For We will never apologize for a woman def uh, defending a woman's right to choose. And I remember thinking at the moment, that that was such an interesting insight into how he had been media trained. When given a question you don't want to answer or you're not prepared for, reply with a select number of talking points because that'll become the clip. Hmm. And even if um, the, people like you and I are calling him on it, even if it makes the news, which this one did, it's still going to be you delivering a message you want to be seen delivering. And that is not an accident. It's mm -hmm. media training. Yep. And when Pierre Polyev is asked a question, like, you know, experts say, whatever the exact phrasing was, his response is not off the cuff. He's drilled in it. And you and I have talked repeatedly yeah, about said, this. I've, I've heard Matt Walsh do this exact same rhetorical tactic. Who are your experts? What are your sources? Asking people on the spot to go back to their, and Source what material. that means, source material. And what that tells you as a journalist is that if you are expecting to square off or you want to do the gotcha with, with Pierre, you don't bring, bring well, don't bring a gun or don't bring a, a knife or sorry, don't, don't bring, bring a knife, knife to a gunfight. Yeah. Don't bring a knife to a gunfight. Yep. If you want to accuse him of this, have your receipts ready. You want to go gotcha, go gotcha. I'm, I'm not saying that that's, hey, that's part of the game. That's part of what we do. But, but be prep, be prepared to be, to defend yourself and be prepared to do this. And I would also say to, to my, my media contemporaries, go watch some Ben Shapiro. Go watch some Matt Walsh. See yep. how they work rhetorically, because you yep. will have a much better understanding of how Pierre Polyev is approaching these problems and these questions if you can do this. I mean, these guys literally do these campus tours where they go and they get heckled by progressives and they get questioned by progressives one after the next after the next. And they just sit there and they take it over and over and over and over again until they have their responses so pat that it's hard to break through on any of these issues. Pierre's are taking notes from that. You can see clear parallels between his rhetorical style and these guys. So you as a journalist, I don't care how progressive you are, or whatever, you need to spend some time watching these guys because you need to understand how this guy thinks and fights. 
Yeah. Yep. That's it. And I also think even from you take a step back, even from that uh, granular view and the meta theme you and I have tried to hammer home is that I don't know if Canadian journalists have made their peace yet that like it or not, we are combatants. And like there has been a decision in the conservative party to run against the media. And there are ways the media collectively can respond to that in a smart way or at least to try and mitigate the damage. And then there are things that we can do that are stupid and just play right into it. Yeah. And I think, and, and, and being, and being the, the, the glass eyed progressive 20 year old who stands up to like land a question up on Ben Shapiro on abortion is not the smart way to respond to this. Yeah. The other, the other thing I think it's just worth bringing up um, is about, the way the way the question was handled it's i would encourage everybody if you're at, if you're interested enough in canadian politics to be listening to jen and i when we talk every week sign yourself up may, maybe get a dummy email address to do it it'll make your life easier but sign yourself up for all of the party mailing lists mm-hmm. and then just as a social experiment watch how quickly Things that happen in meat space, like real life, end up being weaponized into appeals for support by party mailing lists. Yep. Because the uh, the the encounter between Wright and uh, Polyev in Prince Edward Island, the I, I, I look, I wasn't checking my email that closely while I was on holiday, but I certainly saw it popping up in social media channels, which I know to be conservative friendly or proxy accounts for Polyev. I know who some of those guys are. And it was Polyev destroys establishment media. Which again, framing right out of the Shapiro, Matt Walsh yeah, textbook. The other thing, Jen, though, it may be even the more relevant thing here, how fast it is. Mm. This is not like it happens three days later. No, it's these things are often in hours and I have seen them in minutes. Yeah. So there is, and I, I still look, it's not a, it's not a fun thing, but it, every time I send a tweet, I'm well aware of the fact that I could easily find myself an hour later out of touch. Laurentian downtown Toronto journalist says donate $5 today. Yep. And it has happened and I just don't care. And I usually laugh because, uh, and you know, like I, I know some of these guys and they tend to not give me too hard of a time, but it's, if I say something stupid on the radio, if I write a bad line in a column, it will be jumped on because this is a deliberate strategy. Yep. It, and I, and I don't, I don't even buy into the argument, Jen, that it's some nefarious scheme to destroy our truth telling ecosystem so that conservatives can run on a buffet of conspiracies i think it's much more simple than that media as a class is disliked and there's political advantage to be seen punching us in the nuts well yes there's that and then also uh, you know i do think that the conservatives for the last 20 years do feel like they've they've received an unfair ride from media whether or not that they that they have or they haven't i mean that's a debate conversation yeah, but essentially they feel like they, you've been meaner to them than you've been to the liberals. And if if the liberals, I mean, how many times have I heard this line? If if Stephen Harper tried that, XXX, I mean, dot, 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 right? I mean, they, they yep. feel like they're a beleaguered and aggrieved um, class. Yep. And we're one of the people, we're one of the bullies picking on them. That's genuinely how they feel. I know. And they're idiots. And here's the thing. When the liberals play the same game, they're idiots too. The, yeah. the idea that the media is for or against you is stupid and it fundamentally misunderstands what the media is. We are and the, a, and, and the a moral sociopaths it. who beat who eat, bite whatever hand is feeding us. Yes, and not only that, but I mean that that's not to say that there aren't inherent inherent biases and structural biases within the media. Like I, I don't think it's wrong to say that again i'm talking about the media like it's one thing i don't think it's clear to say that if you were to take all of the journalists in the country they would generally be more progressive than the mean i i, I think that's probably true so there yeah, are you know structural why it is. 
you know, so it's, a self, it's a self-selecting crew that 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 is geographically centered in a particular part of the country. That's what it is. The, it's not it's not a conspiracy. The, yeah. The counter the counterbalancing weight of thousands of small town newspapers and independently operated radio stations has evaporated. And yeah. what we're left with is Toronto, uh, Toronto, Ottawa and Montreal clusters of media. So yeah. you're absolutely right that the media is more to the progressive side than the median Canadian. But I don't think we are in any way more to the progressive side of the median Toronto, Montreal, Ottawa. No. Residents. Oh, oh, not at all. Not at all. If I anything, we might actually difficult. be to the right of that. Yeah, I think that that's probably exactly correct. So it's like yeah. I said, it's, it's not a conspiracy of left wing Marxists. It's a quirk out to of get geography. the conservatives. Well, it's a quirk of, of, of culture and geography. Yeah. Yeah. But um, anyway, that's a whole side conversation. Um, I, I think there's I something. I put my notes because I had other things to talk about. Here they are. Good. Anyway, I, I think there's a blurb I could do on like the far right as a term. Yeah. Oh, th- yes. That was the other point I wanted to make because that was the actual the substance of it here. I think two things are happening at once. First of all, I think some of the mainstream conservative movement has moved to what we would have called a couple of years ago the far right. I, I do think the conservatives have moved away from the center on some issues. So the difference you mean, between okay, far right is in like nationalist racist, not necessarily racist, okay. but I mean on immigration issues, I think the conservatives are moving away from what their position might've been even three years ago. Yeah. But I don't on think cultural that... issues. I think they're getting sharper for someone to say, look, you're taking in too many immigrants because it's putting undue ha- pressure on our housing stock isn't a far right position. No, but it's moving away from a center consensus. And well, I think I, uh, see, I think the center center consensus is probably moving away on that. I mean, you know, I think it is. I, th- I think for someone is. for someone to say, I don't think that we should um, be bringing in immigrants because they challenge our inherently superior uh, Anglo-Saxon values. I mean, like that is a far right position. Yeah, you know but a lot like, of the people saying I'm worried about teacher access mean the other thing. Like we we all know full sure. well, there's Trojan I, I, horses. Of here. course there's Trojan horses and of course this thing, but this is why I also am really wary about using terms like dog whistles. Yep. Because there are dog whistles. There are absolutely conservative and you know whatever dog whistles out there. But the problem is that there are also just statements of position that don't necessarily mean other than what they are. Right? Like I wrote a column in the globe. Many people have now written columns and columns on this sort of subject where I've said, look, you're the number of international students we've taken on in recent years has doubled and we haven't yeah. kept up on purpose-built student housing. You have to cut or re- reduce the number of international student visas, hopefully as an incentive to increase purpose-built housing on the subject. That's my preferred policy position. You could say that's that's not a far-right position. In fact, I don't think that's even a particularly non-centrist position. The liberal housing minister was going off and saying basically the same thing the next day. But you could hypothetically go and say, like, Jen Gerson is making a dog whistle because she's mm-hmm. talk, talking about cutting international student visas. It's not. But you can claim anything's a dog whistle. And in which case, words have no meaning and nothing, no policy positions stand for what they actually say at all. Well, that right? brings me to my second point on the challenge of the far right. Okay. I would describe the current Conservative Party of Canada as ideologically incoherent. Oh, sure. Yeah. I don't know. Like when we talk about what like the far right is, there's an assumption that the far right is further right than the right. Right. I don't know what the right is. I don't know what the right is. What's the right? What do you mean by that anymore? I I, I genuinely like I like big government bad, low taxes good, army good, crime bad, but like other than really big broad strokes i don't think and this is not a new development either i think the ideological basis of canadian conservatism exhausted itself in around 2013 2014 and i think what had happened was that stephen harper brought together the disparate tribes of canadian conservatism and there was a fairly finite list of things that they could all agree on and by around 2013, 2014, they'd done them all. They had scrapped the, the wheat board, board and the gun control and the and the, the long yeah. gun registry. And then it was, and then there should have been a process of like intellectual renewal for Canadian conservatism, but we didn't get that. Instead, what we got in the 2015 election was a barbaric cultural practices hotline yeah. and a $10 a year textbook tax credit. So now what we have is a kind of conservatism 
and again, I'm going to load a term here that is fundamentally reactionary. Yes, that's so exactly it. I don't necessarily mean reactionary is all bad. No, no, no. Rea- it's, it's supposed to be, to, especially opposition parties. You have yeah, to be reactionary. Well, no, but reacting to things like inflation and how high how high housing prices is a, that's reasonable. You know, you're reacting to a problem. That's fine. But yeah, it's you're right. I don't think that there's an ideological coherence anymore. It's it's just it's it's reactionary sort of policies, some of which are overdue, and some of which are just own the libs. Oh, a, a lot of its own libs. You know what I was I was saying today in um, I was saying this in a in a different context. Um, but about the about the conservatives, uh, someone had asked me online because uh, there's been a but we'll talk about this more substantively in a minute. But there's been a lot of bad polls for the liberals over the last couple of weeks. Oh, and we'll, we'll we'll talk about that specifically. But someone had asked me, he said, if the liberals park like a money truck in front of your house and asked you what would you do to try and turn this thing around? Like, what would you tell the liberals to do? And I, I answered very honestly, which is, I said, I would go massively negative on Pierre Polyev and I would r- start rolling out small, achievable deliverology wins so that you could be seen fixing problems. And I, yeah. I, I don't think that would work. I think the liberals might be fucked. Um, and I also don't think there's any real chance that the Justin Trudeau will do the things I would think he should do, but I think that's what I would tell him. But when it came to the idea that I said of wedge Pierre Polyev, if I'm the liberals right now and I'm trying to wedge Pierre Polyev, I'm not actually attacking Pierre Polyev. I ignore him entirely. You know who I provoke? You know who my target is if I'm trying to get the conservatives in a culture war fight? Jordan Peterson. I am doing everything I can as a liberal strategist, hypothetically, to enrage influential right-wing Canadian social media figures. Because those will start pushing the base correct for a more reactionary space, and then you're going to have Pierre basically being pulled Forced by them. again and again and again to adapt can, can a position. Like not mention that? Because that's smart. Too late. Okay, so here's another interesting thing, is that Look, the responsible political position, I think, is exactly correct. You go extremely negative on Pierre personally, and you roll out Some achievable political. small policy wins yeah. to show that you're a sane, we're, sensible centrist government. Fixing problems Canadians have. Fixing reasonable problems. Get out of get your head out of air, airy fairy, pie in the sky, net zero crap like that. Focus on look. We need to build more roads in the north. We're going yep. to harden bridges. We're going to like focus on that stuff. We're going to get inflation down. We're going to like blah blah blah. Maybe a check to under uh, to, to an extra GST check to poor households probably ain't going to hurt you. Yep. Stuff like that. Oh, by the way, I, I just I th- opened a beer. It's later where I am than you yeah, are. So cheers. What I think they're going to do is the not responsible thing. What I think they're going to do is they're going to look for a hard wedge. In, in the fall. And a I'm series of looking, them, I think. And I, this is what I'm concerned about. I think that they're looking at abortion, wells gone dry in abortion, wells gone dry on guns. What's the other major culture war issue that you can try and use to wedge the conservatives? I see three today. Okay. Trans rights and gender identity issues. Mm-hmm. You're not going to like this one. Mm-hmm. COVID. Okay climate climate's not going to work as a as a as a as a wedge they all climate's not going to climate's not going to work as a wedge because all the all pierre has to do to respond to climate is say we're going to focus on a sensible climate change climate change policy that 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 prioritizes mitigation and hardening of infrastructure like it's 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 so easy let me tell you why I think you might be wrong on that one. Okay, and again, no, like no, I said, no, 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 it no, depends. No. It, it depends. Let's just put a pin in that for a moment. It depends. COVID, to me, if they go wedge on COVID, that is suicide. Everyone's over it. The third one, it's the biggest one. It's Tra- trans. Trans and gender identity. What the conservative, the, the liberals come back with a le- piece of legislation that does something like we are going to guarantee access to puberty blockers to anyone, any child who asks. It's going to be something like that. They could do it with a motion. They wouldn't even, they could do it like in, uh, remember that is anti-Islamophobia no, they, they, motion? No, they're, they're, they're not going to want a motion. 
They want legislation. They want it to be a big thing. They're going to turn this into a debate. It's a massive distraction away from inflation and uh, housing issues. It gets them off the hook for all the basic stuff that the federal government is required to do and is currently failing on. Mm -hmm. It's a hugely effective wedge. And also, once you get down, once you actually bait anybody on the conservative team on any trans issue, it is a goddamn rabbit hole. It is a tar pit. Once you start on that, you will never get out because it's it's competing science. It's massively overly fraught. We're just past the peak of a moral panic on trans issues. You could start looking to what the United States is doing. And the conservatives have not helped themselves because they're one of the resolutions that they're going to debate at their convention is a resolution to essentially ban all, all affirming mm-hmm. treatments yeah. for young people. Absolutely irresponsible for them to do this. I think any government that turns trans issues into a wedge is evil. Doesn't matter, conservative, liberal, I don't care. I think it's an evil thing to do, especially at the current moment where this stuff is just hugely, hugely controversial. But I think that the liberals are going to look at this and they're going to be like, Hail Mary, if we can just get the conservatives talking about nothing but trans issues for three months, they look like a bunch of ultra-right weirdos. That's what they're going to try and do. That's honestly what I think they're going to try and do. The reason I I will also note this, like I think that a lot of conservatives in this country see the trap and are like, oh boy, I don't want to go there. No, no, no. A lot of conservatives see the trap and really want to go there. Yeah, some of them do, but you know, I just as a just chatting with people at the provincial level, nobody wants to touch this. Like there's a couple, there's some, there's some fringy people who definitely want to touch this, but on left and right, who who want to take this culture war and make it into a mainstream thing. Most conservatives I've met do not want to touch this. The reason I agree, I'm, I think I agree with you about 90% on the, the trans and gender identity stuff. The reason I think you could be wrong about COVID and climate, it's not that I question your judgment, but I'm going to pose a scenario. I think the answer does not depend on the political judgment. It depends on how desperate they are. Because when they make these decisions, if they are making the decision and the assumption is we still have a chance to win, then I think they leave COVID and climate off the table. I think they pick the, probably as we said, the the trans and gender identity wedge. And they're like, we can win on this one. If they're in a position where they have concluded that they're fucked and it's about saving fortress Toronto and a few writings. Like if it's a prevent a complete collapse scenario, then I think they play whatever cards they have. And that would include basically saying we're writing off 50 seats to protect 50 other seats. That's when I could see a scenario. I think the trans identity issue would be the one they would play first because I agree with you, guns and abortion are largely tapped out. Mm-hmm. That's the best cultural wedge. If they don't think they can win and they're in a fight to survive, I think they play all three and probably others we haven't thought of. Potentially, I just don't think there's enough juice in climate. Um, they I are. Like, but again, I, remember the scenario here. In this case, you're not trying to stop Pierre Polyev from winning. You're trying to stop the NDP from winning in enough downtown ridings that they form the opposition. Yeah, but I'm just saying I don't think there's enough juice and climate even for that. Maybe. You know what I mean? It, um, it's, it brings and me also around. after after eight years, what kind of climate policy do they have to 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 stand on? Like it's not it's not actually a sword issue for them anymore. It's a shield issue for them because they're the All these are. Well, maybe gender and not, trans would gender be trans isn't gender trans they could turn into sort of now yeah. that being said. If it actually starts to be a fight on gender trans issues, they're going to find that this is this is this this particular tar pit goes way way deeper than they are ready to handle because it is a really messy space. But as that COVID, you would need to have some extenu external circumstances to make COVID fly, and I even think even with a, with a variant emerging, honestly, I would genuinely be shocked if. Eighty percent of the population hadn't completely moved on on COVID. I think it's more just, than that. But it's who, probably ninety. Like, but who's the that ten percent? The remaining they're parking their vote with. Yeah, but it's not enough people. It's not enough juice, and it's not enough people. Um, only only one of these issues strikes me as having enough gas to go the mile for them as a wedge issue. 
I think we shouldn't discount the possibility. And I guess this sort of leaves us leads us to one of the other items on our topic list today, which was the polls. Like we've just referred to them, but I'm actually interested in talking about them. A series of polls this week have shown that the liberals are trailing the conservatives from anywhere from 10 to 12 points. And the one thing that the liberals have always been able, there's always been two things they've been able to kind of tell themselves is a good news story. One of them was, okay, but we're still really strong with like millennials and women. And the other has been, we're still strong in the Atlantic, Quebec, and the greater Toronto area. These latest round of polls, none of that is true anymore. One of the polls out just a few days ago, the conservatives are winning not only with women, but they're winning in every age group of women, I think, except um, one of the boomer bands. They're winning geographically everywhere except greater Toronto, and they're only a few points back. The conservatives are now winning among millennials here. The reason I bring this up is not because I think polls two years out from an election are particularly exciting on their own merits. There's a lot There's a lot of time between now and the vote. But the reason these are important is because these polls will inform strategy. And for every liberal on Twitter saying, hey, we're still two years out, there's someone at Liberal Party headquarters tonight going, holy shit, we're behind 12 points and we have to fix this now. Mm-hmm. So this ties into what we were just talking about a minute ago. When you're 12 points back and you have just done your cabinet shuffle, you've just had, and I, I hate to even bring this up again, but you've just successfully managed the announcement of a, of a, of a personal life s- circumstance change for the prime minister and you're back 12 points. Smart liberal friends of mine were telling me two weeks ago that the prime minister was going to get a five point bump for his sad divorce news. He's down five points. And I don't think it has anything to do with his personal life. I think it's the trend that had already been set in. Mm-hmm. It's so, yeah, caveats abound, blah, blah, blah. It's the summer. No one's paying attention, blah, 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 blah. Doesn't matter. The liberals cannot tolerate being down by 12. No, and that means they're going to do something panicked and they're going to do something panicked soon. Yes. And when you said a minute ago that I don't think they'll do that because that would be suicidal. No, I didn't say it was suicidal. I said it's not enough. It's not going to be. You said COVID, you said would be suicidal. COVID COVID would be suicidal because I just, like I said, I think it would backfire on them so dramatically that the liberals would, or the conservatives would be able to turn COVID back at them as a wedge against them. Not only would it be suicidal, it would be profoundly ineffective as a wedge. I look. We have to. Consider... I, I think they'll they'll hit they'll hit the trans they'll they'll use wedge the trans stuff as a wedge first. I think. But even step back from the specifics of any issue they might use. Here is a let me let me lay out a possibility for you. And you and I, I think are on the same page on this. The conservative the conservatives may still easily find a way to defeat themselves because they're easily oh, triggered and they're undisciplined. Yes. So no one should assume we've bet the proverbial farm on the conservative. Neither of these sides are actually ready to deal with the trans stuff. Let me clear. Like the liberals think they are. They're not ready to deal with the trans stuff. The conservatives are like, yeah, let's go. No, neither of these sides are ready to to wade into this tar pit. But just get your brain for a second. Just get the trans stuff out of there and just step back and look at this as just a political overall situation. Okay. I'm not convinced that the conservatives, if they play their cards right, and that's a gigantic if, I don't see a single issue that's a slam dunk for the liberals right now. And when you said a minute ago on on the COVID front, possibly that the conservatives would turn this around, I think the conservatives with bail reform found an answer to the liberals on guns. I don't think they ever found an answer on abortion, but I think the liberals realize they've played that out. On housing, quality of life issues, cost of living issues, uh, the the climate change you said eight years of a failed record can you think of a single issue right now that would be a slam dunk for the liberals to not have turned against them trans is the only one oh, I, I don't even think that's a slam dunk i think the conservatives could turn that against them potentially but if they, they can only win a pyrrhic victory on it that's the problem i just i, I think you know a couple of months ago Canadians were treated to the spectacle of discovering that critical cabinet ministers in charge of national security and public safety related portfolios were not regularly checking their emails. Nothing has fundamentally changed. What we're talking about here 
would be require the liberals to be absolutely at their A game. And it is 100% possible that they find a way to turn this thing around and win, but they've got to be good. They got to be smart. They got to be disciplined and they got to be lucky. Luck is out of their hands. The other three, I'm not seeing any sign of it. Nope. Fair. Like you're, you're saying that they could be so stupid that they stumble onto one of these other wedges. I think, well, I mean, it, it, look, luck, you can't predict luck. It can go either way. It's very, I go, look, it is 100% possible that the conservatives are going to fuck it up. The liberals will have a just enough juice left to hold just enough writings to deny Pierre Polyev a clear enough victory and the conservative party disintegrates into a puddle of goo. It's possible. It's also possible that every single thing the liberals throw at the conservatives over the next three, four months as an attempt to wedge them is effectively batted away by the conservatives who are ready for it and basically just say successfully, they're only talking about this because you can't afford your mortgage. Yeah. That, that could work. Yeah. And I don't know, like, honestly, your guesses and anyone's guess is as good as mine, which one that is. But those two scenarios are both plausible. Yeah. And when this happens with governments, and you and I have seen this before, when it when it starts, when the avalanche starts, it's doesn't possible stop. to stop it's it. Possible, but it, but it doesn't. It doesn't. Honestly, the best thing the liberals could do for themselves right now, for their party, is for Trudeau to shut down and for they to, them to try and create a leadership race and then to create a reset from there. I actually don't agree. I think Trudeau is their best shot to save the furniture. I don't think Maybe. they have anyone who could do as well as he could in the GTA in Quebec at the same time. Maybe. I think Anita Anand would do well in the GTA. I think Melanie Jolie could do well in Quebec. I don't see anyone who could do as well in both places. Oh, and they're down leadership. to their last fortresses. Oh, leadership. Um, look, we have been rambling on quite a bit. I do think we have a couple of other things in our plate. One is the Jordan Peterson, speaking of Jordan Peterson, yeah, the ruling against him um, from the uh, Court of Appeal, I think you called the Court of Appeal. I haven't read the actual ruling. Do we want to dispatch blurb on this? I don't care about Jordan Peterson. And like, yeah, but he's, but he's, but the world cares about Jordan Peterson. The world cares about Jordan Peterson. One percent of the population cares about Jordan Peterson a lot. I think it's I think it's a larger percentage than you're giving him credit for. I I, I am going to refrain from having an opinion on this because I haven't actually read the ruling. Of course, he's going to frame this as an assault on free speech. Mm -hmm. It's going to have a chilling effect for people in professional, um, in professions that have uh, oversight bodies. Such a, such a psychologist. What's the core issue like here? He had unpopular tweets, and there was like a professional complaint to the College of Psychiatry? To, I, think, or? Uh, I think it was like psychology, to the Ontario College of Psychology, who found that it, that he was uh, inappropriate. And like, I think one of the rulings against him is that he now has to go to these like sensitivity training for tweets, essentially, which I'm not sure what the point of that is exactly. It's a weird sort of quasi judicial ruling that forces him to undergo a kind of uh, training that I'm not sure has any value. It certainly isn't going to change the way he tweets. You know, you can make an argument that like, of course, you know, whenever you're using professional bodies to clamp down on figures like Jordan Peterson, you're, you're sending a chilling effect to the rest of um, people in, in professional bodies at large. We we have also seen, for example, the abuse of professional bodies to clamp down on individuals with unpopular opinions. I mean, right when we started the line, we did that um, Q&A with the, the one girl, what's her name? She, she was the one who put up the I like, I heart JK Rowling billboard. And she was attacked through her nursing college um, about that. It's a huge problem. And particularly if you don't have the resources to stand up for yourself, it, it's, it's, it's almost like it's it's an abuse of, of of those types of colleges to shut down people with unpopular opinions. Of course it is. So this is an issue. But until I actually read the ruling, I don't know if I really want to comment on on whether or not the ruling is appropriate or not. It it seems to me like being asked to go to you know social media sensitivity training is not really an undue burden. But I'm not sure that that's the point either. Yeah. 
I remember years ago, and it was so long ago, I don't remember who it was. I don't recall if it was Mark Stein or if it was Ezra Levant, but it was one of them. One of them. They they had to testify before like um, a commissioner of some kind. I don't remember any of the yeah, details. It was Ezra Levant in section 13, I think, was the big infamous one. But what I remember is that it was filmed and yep. released. Mm-hmm. And if I'm Jordan Peterson, if I'm ordered to do it, I do it and I film it. Yep. And I think he's promised to do that as well. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I don't know if Jordan Peterson would be able to resist the temptation to put on a bizarre smoking jacket and then ham it up, yep. but I don't think he'd have to here. Like, well, every once in a straight. while, have you ever had to sit through one of these corporate mandated... No, I, I became unemployable well before anybody forced me to sit through anything of that nature. So I guess I was employable slightly longer than you. Um I, I have had to sit through these and it, it's never been ordered on me as an individual in any kind of punitive or restorative way, but it's, there have been times where it's like company policy is that every employee must have completed this online module. They're yeah. Ridiculous. And also let's be clear. The, and also this is 100% corporate CYA. Oh yeah. 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 This is, that's all this is. This yeah. is, this is, this is corporations covering their butts so that if someone sues them for being discriminatory, they can say, look, we forced all of our employees to sit through one of these ridiculous modules. We're not whatever. Yeah, and you also talk about it when you sponsor a walrus talks. Yeah. My corporation is proud to have committed to a proactive policy training program. Blah, blah, blah. It's It's all corporate whitewashing. Yeah. But I remember having gone through these things a couple of times now, having the thought that I should have screen capped every page of it and just published it online without comment because yeah. they're crazy yeah so, so i understand that my my understanding is that peterson seems to have dug in and basically um said he won't submit he won't do it and also he's fundraising on it so fair play to him i guess well the circle of life continues i guess absolutely but... i mean it would be hypocritical for us not to <laughs> donate to the line um, yeah, you've probably seen these things from time to time though like they get tweeted occasionally every once in a while someone anonymously releases like the corporate responsibility or corporate sensitivity materials and they're bad yeah also i mean they're, they're they are bad and also at the same time peterson is one of these types of personalities who will refuse to submit to uh, an inappropriate or a joke censure in order to force the college to take it to the next level of to escalate it, right? Like he's got an incentive to escalate because every time they escalate, he's become he becomes center of attention again. He gets to be the warrior again. He gets to fundraise again. So like the incentive for him is actually to escalate. You know how this is going to end? How is it going to end? He's going to refuse to do it. He's going to be stripped of his license and Ron DeSantis, having been completely massacred by Trump, is going to go home to Florida and ram a Jordan Peterson is licensed to practice here by special dispensation law through the Florida state legislature. Sure. Why not? Um, you remember what I said like, at the very beginning about how everything's stupid? Everything's stupid. I mean, also, to be clear, Jordan Peterson doesn't practice anymore. So this 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 license... Yeah, he's fighting it, this he, one on principle. He's fighting it on principle, which is what he does, right? Like, he fights everything on principle, which, I mean... Hey, somebody's got to. Fair enough. Uh, you know, us little guys can't fight, take on every fight on principle. I mean, you got to pay. The rest of us, the rest of us, uh, mere low life sometimes have to pick our battles. It's just what it is. Um. um so look, I don't know. Anything else urgently on your list? Yeah, in Alberta, they canceled a bunch of these green projects, and I keep on meaning to dig into it because it is some really egregious dumb fuckery from what I can hear. But I haven't really looked into it yet. Do we care? Do you care? No. Okay. And then you you were going to write a column about the green belts until I mocked you. Um, you didn't mock me. You gave me good advice. Uh, oh, I seem okay. to have briefly forgotten how to write after my oh, well, holiday. And I thought I had something column worthy to say uh, about the green belt. And I tried four, three or four times to write it. And after three, four hundred words each time, I just deleted the document because I forgot how to write. I did get my writing mojo back by the end of the week. Um, I was asked by the star to write something and I only needed two deleted drafts before I was uh, able to rediscover how to write. But mm-hmm. no, I mean, the green belt. So let me just tell you something, Jen, and this is something that I don't know if, um, if people outside of Ontario pay attention to this. Something about Doug Ford is that he has no poker face. Mm-hmm. 
you can basically read everything you need to know about the state of things into how Doug Ford looks when he steps out of a conference room. And Doug Ford this week looks like someone has been beheading puppies in a guillotine in front of him. He, he doesn't look good. He is not. And I, I, I watched a lot of this guy's press conferences. He hasn't looked this bad since some of the darker days of COVID. So for listeners who um, uh, have not been paying attention to this, while I was gone, the Auditor General in Ontario came out with a report on the Greenbelt, which is that protected swath of land around Toronto, which is owned to never be developed. And there had been allegations that when the Ford government had announced that little pieces of it, not huge on the huge scale of it, but thousands of acres would be opened up for development. And it was alleged by the star and the narwhal that uh, by a strange series of coincidences, a bunch of Ford-friendly, Ford-connected real estate developers in Ontario had purchased up that land just before it was rezoned to allow development, mm-hmm. netting paper profits of about $8 billion. Because before the land had like no value. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, it's incredibly value. Mm-hmm. So- the Auditor General's report basically comes out, and it conf- it, it's I'm simplifying this because I'm, I'm mindful of the, t- of the time here, but it basically confirms it. It basically goes, yep. Like, if I could summarize the AG report, it's yep. Yep, this is exactly what it looks like. And it identified uh, a chief of staff to the housing minister as the go-between between the government and the developers. That chief of staff has now resigned. I also know he's lawyered up, so I won't say anything more than that. But the gentleman has resigned. Um, what also happened this week was that how the Ford, the Ford government started this week, on the one hand, totally having that uh, that staffer's back, at least officially. And then um, the, uh, the, the staffer is now gone. The other thing that happened this week is that it was announced that the uh, Ontario Provincial Police, who'd been looking into possible criminal charges on this, had determined, without having drawn a conclusion, they had determined that it was important to look into it and that they were referring the matter to the Royal Canadian Mounted Police because, obviously, the Ontario Provincial Police are, uh, are well, they're a, they're part of the Ontario government, right? They're under Doug Ford. So in in just a, in a couple of days, this has gone from fairly wonky, I must explain what the green belt is every time I talk about it stuff, to one chief of staff has resigned and the issue has been referred to the Mounties. I don't, the, the thing I wanted to say in the column, and I never found out exactly the way to say this, is that Doug Ford has a proven track record of shrugging things off that probably ought to have done more political damage to him than it did and i honestly have no idea if this is going to be another one three weeks from now we might never be talking about it again because well, the, other, the, other, the other the other observation i'd make is already this is just ontario news this is no longer national news the ag's report was national news the resignation of the chief and staff and the 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 um the rcmp is looking into it these aren't really resonating outside of Ontario. So take 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 that for what it's worth. Is that because no one cares, or is that because half of Western Canada is on fire? Both, but that's again circumstance, right? Like a half yeah. the reason why why Doug Ford's been able to shrug off what he has is because of circumstance that he didn't control, right? Yep. That's what it is. That's the news cycle. I find it interesting though, because more than one conservative has told me. And they, they've had very different feelings about it, that Doug Ford is likely a future prime minister of Canada. Um, not not because they like the guy, not because they hate the guy, but simply because uh, simply because he has been able to wed parts of the conservative coalition together better than anyone else has in recent political memory. And I don't know if that's true or not. But sooner or later, Doug Ford is going to have the experience that every politician has eventually. Something that he thinks he's going to be able to survive because he's always survived it before it is actually going to kill him. Yeah, but that's true of every politician. 
Yeah. Right. And, that's that's and true know, every politician. I don't know when that's going to be, but I suspect that when it happens, it's going to look a lot like this. It's going to be Ooh. this kind of well-connected insiders, bit of arrogance, bit of bit of nudge, nudge, wink, wink. If if I were to sketch out the kind of scandal I think would sink a guy like Doug Ford, it looks like this. And uh, people who are listening on a podcast and not watching the video will never know the performance your, your son is putting on in the background right now. It's pretty spectacular, isn't it? And I think that that's pretty much my my uh, my timer has gone off here, hasn't it? I think so too. Um, the only thing I was planning on mentioning in the podcast that I that I believe has been decreed we will not have time for is the winification of Justin Trudeau. I think I'll we, write that. I think I'll yeah, write well, that up. I, I think you got to write it up because I don't think I'm gonna. I don't think that uh, Jamie here has got any patience for uh, a conversation about how Justin Trudeau is increasingly looking like Kathleen Wynne. What do you think, Bud? Is that is that a thesis you're into, James? Is that a thesis you'd like to hear about? Yes. Oh yes, he does. Well, James, I'm I'm going to keep you in suspense. We'll say we'll put it that way. I hear you. I know you hear me. You took your mom's <laughs> headphones. <laughs> Is oh, don't worry, funny? buddy. I heard my kids trying to get down to where I am too. So, Jen, I agree with you. I think we've, uh, I think we've, I think we've hit the clock. All right. Well, uh, let's. Um, you, you go handle the home front. Uh, we will figure out who's going to write what by email. All right. Bye. Bye. Well, everybody, thanks for listening. Great to be back. Stay tuned for more of these as we get back into a normal publication schedule. For Jen Gerson, I'm Matt Gurney. This has been the latest episode of the Lines Experimental Podcast.